Ah, good afternoon. So grateful you're all here. My name is Tyler Lukey, and I have the great honor of serving as the president of the Blue Lotus. I'm here with lots of our fellow board members I see around the room, and I just want to extend a thank you to them and to all the people who work so nobly and quietly behind the scenes to make this beautiful place run and make it a refuge for all of us. So I'm really grateful. We have uh, a few people who've come a long way. First of all, Michael Franzak, welcome. I think although we have a lot of Sri Lankan monks here, you might have traveled the farthest, at least on this particular day. And so we're really grateful you're here. And uh, we have monks who've traveled from far and wide to join us in this celebration. And we're very grateful to all of the far and wide Blue Lotus monastics who have joined us. Guy Spinelli, I'm really grateful you're here. It's always nice to see your face. And uh, I always uh, like to acknowledge the fact that my job is easier because you built us a beautiful place to operate. So I'm very, very grateful to you and extend that gratitude. We have a special monk who became an American citizen yesterday, Bante Soma. Pretty amazing. And then, uh, of course, I think many of us know, while we give a lot of credit and a lot of gratitude to our very own Venerable Bante Sujatha, the truth is, is that if Bante Muditha had not begun this long uh, lineage of serving the world, none of us would be here today. So we're so grateful he's here to join with us. A few housekeeping rules. Um, how many people are here for the first time to the Blue Lotus? A few hands, wonderful. So for the rest of you, you already know the ropes, but we have uh, an entrance in the front where you all came in. And so if we all needed to get out in a hurry, you know that that one exists, but there's also one back here. We've got bathrooms over here behind the Buddha, and we have an extra bathroom in the lower level. So just want to just give a reminder to those things. If I could ask everybody for a little mindfulness to turn off their phones. Maybe we could just all enjoy this couple hours of sacred time together and not be interrupted. That'd be wonderful. And at this time, I'd like to ask Guy Spinelli, our previous board president, and Maria Ramos to come uh, light the altar. Thank you, Guy and Maria. And thank you. Bhante Sujatha for your assistance. At this time, uh, it's my honor to be able to introduce Venerable Bhante Pamaratina. He's going to give us a Dharma talk tonight. I understand he did a good job this morning as well, so you are in for a treat. And uh, so here he is, Bhante. Most Venerable Brahmanavati Mudite, Naika Mahatere, the Chief Prelate of Canada, and also the Most Venerable Bhante Sujata, the Chief Monk of USA, <laughs> and uh, other members of the Mahasangha, and dear friends in the Dhamma. It is uh, such a great blessing for all of us to be here in this space, in this very uh, wonderful space, the space of loving kindness. So we are all going to witness a very important ceremony. Uh, Bhante Sujata uh, usually give us um, 
difficult task to perform and he liked to you know uh, test <laughs> our skill and always uh, uh, push us to go beyond our comfort zones <laughs> and he gave me one in the morning and moreover he's giving me another one <laughs> in the afternoon so I'm going to try my best to explain the meaning and significance of this ceremony and then various uh, activities and items that we will use uh, in this ceremony. And this ceremony is called Paritta Chanting Ceremony. A Paritta is, imp is important Buddhist term. You know, um, uh, the meaning of Paritta is protection or blessings. So Paritta chanting is actually chanting a selected discourses of the Buddha for the purpose of bestowing blessings and protection and healing to the community. So this has been a long tradition for like for thousands of years and monks use the discourses of the Buddha not only for, the, for their rich content the, or the meanings but also the monks has, have used the, the discourses of the Buddha or the sutras of the Buddha as a way of bestowing or giving blessings to people too. So this is an year, this is the year end blessing ceremony. And also this is also a ceremony for protection and also a, a ceremony for healing. You will understand later how many things in this ceremony are connected to healing of our body and mind. So let us uh, start one by one. And what you see here in this space as most prominent thing other than the Buddha statue. Hmm? I can, whatever you see as the prominent, I can go from there. Don't say the Christmas tree. <laughs> you know better than me. <laughs> yeah. What you see as the most prominent thing in this space? Hmm? Yes. So we can start from there. <laughs> so this is called Mandapa. Um, so oh, uh, like Pirit Mandapa, the Mandapa for the Paritta chanting. So Mandapa is a special term that can mean uh, uh, a pavilion or chamber. Uh, so usually when we do this this particular chanting ceremony, there are different ways to do the blessing ceremony through chanting. But one uh, particularly specific way of chanting is doing that chanting in a pavilion, in a in a, 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 a space that is separated or demarcated from the rest of the space. So the all the chanting is done within that uh, secluded place, uh, and then for that we developed, we built this kind of pavilion or chamber. And, and this is actually a replica of the original kind of uh, chamber. If you go to Sri Lanka and other traditional Buddhist countries, there are so many other things in this uh, chamber. I think uh, Mike might have seen, you know, inside we have leaves hanging uh, inside the uh, chamber and then um, there are so many other things, but there's a symbolism for this. So mandapa can be any pavilion, but the mandapa that is really most significant for spiritual practitioners and particularly Buddhists is the mandapa where the Buddha attained his enlightenment. 
that is under the Bodhi tree in Bodh Gaya. So when we built Mandapa for, for the chanting, what we are really trying to do is trying to recreate the, the space, a special space, a special spot on which the Buddha attained the enlightenment. So there are a number of other symbols we use. For, for example, in Sri Lanka, usually we also hang Bodhi leaves on the top of the, you know, um, um, from above the Bodhi leaves will be hanging. But of course here we can't find Bodhi leaves. <laughs> um, so of course uh, then we, uh, we will have the representation of Buddha there also. So the seat of enlightenment is the most precious a space, a place, and that shows the, the possibility of enlightenment, and that is a possibility, a capacity we all share, and that is the peak of the uh, psychological evolution. So, recreating that Bodhi Mandapa, we call Bodhi Mandapa, the, pa uh, the pavilion or the seat of enlightenment, recreating it uh, in, uh, in any space on the earth, is reminding ourselves that important place and that important attainment and also reminding ourselves we all are capable of such an attainment. So creating this mandapa, we are creating, we are, we, we are trying to create, recreate Bodhi Mandapa. And then in statues of the Buddha, uh, the, the rep representations of the Buddha and many other symbols we use for that. And this uh, octangle uh, structure also kind of uh, reminds us the kind of shield that Buddha created for himself in his final moment of enlightenment. If we have read the life story of the Buddha, the final moment of his enlightenment is a very important moment and he is battling. He's having a, the most difficult battle to have in this world, in, in this universe. That is the, the battle against his own delusions and battles against his own defilements. And the, uh, the last moment, just before the defilements vanished, and defilements will show their best force, their highest force. So that was really, really a, a moment of, you know, you need a special courage. At that moment, it says that Buddha created a kind of shield around him, not a kind of, you know, a tangible shield, but more like a psychological mental shield. That is his determination not to give up this, his struggle, his um, journey, and also many other virtues that he developed over the years and over the lifetimes, like generosity, his uh, moral, moral virtues, and his uh, patience, and all this, we, there, we have ten perfections, or ten paramitas. And actually, in the, in the poetic explanation of the momentary alignments, explains that these virtues that he developed over life's times, gave him a kind of sense of protection, a sense of shield around him, to give him the support to have this final battle uh, with the with the defilements, with the delusions, with the Mara. So this mandapa, this pavilion, this chamber is a representation of that. So we, we want, whenever we do a blessing service, we want to recreate that enlightenment experience of the Buddha. And there's that particular space, that mandapa, on which Buddha attained enlightenment. And this, that becomes a center 
of the blessings, that the blessings will spread all over the space. So that is the meaning of this mandapa. Okay. And then, what else do you see? <laughs> so actually inside the mandapa, we are going to bring these special items over here. And this mandap is also a space where the, the triple gem will be kept. And the, 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 all triple gems will be, will be will, the presence of the triple gem will be inside the chamber. So we will bring a casket of relics to represent the Buddha. I'll come to that. You can see the casket over here. Okay, thank you, Bandha. And then, yeah, we will bring this special book, the chanting book and the discourses to represent the Dhamma. Of course, the, the monks are inside. So we have triple gem inside. So you demarcated that space as a house of triple gem. And this is the relic casket, and that is to represent the Buddha. And, and what you see here is not only the structure, and there's a very uh, important meaning of this structure, but inside, this is a container of the relics. And then you will ask, what are the relics? <laughs> and um, so, when the Buddha passed away, uh, uh, his, his body was cremated. And once his body was cremated, there were remains. And it says that Buddha, before he passed away, he made a determination for his bones to be, be uh, um, scattered into smallest pieces, almost like a, the, the size of the grain of rice. So there were shining pieces of these remains. And then what to do with them? <laughs> right? For many practitioners, these relics, these shining pieces were like precious things for them as a reminder of the Buddha, and as an encouragement for them to practice, and also the proof of enlightenment. How much we can develop our mind as a physical evidence for the enlightenment. Of course, there was a big, huge demand for these relics, and of course, not only for the practitioners, but also from rulers of the you know, land. So there were eight main kingdoms, so they came in, and relics were distributed in, uh, to different kingdoms. Since then, the relics were used as a reminder of the enlightenment of the Buddha, as an, as a, as an encouragement for us to practice, and as a way to create a special bond with the Buddha, a, a relationship with the Buddha. And not only the remains of the Buddha, but also the remains of the other enlightened monks, remains of highly virtuous monks, and remains of you know, monks who have, who can achieve a higher level of meditation. All these remains were considered relics. And then, so, so relics function in a particular way for, for us to like encourage ourselves to practice more and commit it more. Uh, and, and so also as a representation of the enlightenment and representation of the Buddha. So we have that to represent the Buddha inside the pavilion. And then we usually keep those relics in a special container we call casket. And that casket also has a special shape. Like if you simply see the general pattern, you start with the base and then gradually, you know, coming down and going all the way to the top and at the top 
kind of vanishes to everything. And this, this is exactly the kind of spiritual development. We start with the ground base, with our morality, and then we develop our meditation, and developing our inner calmness, and then use that, that is the middle part of the casket, and also the stupa, the bigger stupa also to follow the same pattern of the casket. And then you develop your wisdom, uh, that is the upper part of the casket, and ultimately you experience the emptiness, that is the top. Uh, so it's not only a container of the relics, but also uh, a um, representation of the, of the spiritual journey that we are all have taken. So that is to represent the Buddha. And then we have a special book over here. This is it. And and before the uh, Gothenburgs in Germany, the books were not like this. And books were like palm leaves. And books were like pyrus leaves. And they have a different composition. So the the, the wooden wooden cover, there are two pieces of wooden to cover the books and inside are the separate leaves. And they are not uh, connected like the binding, but they are connected through a string that goes in between these uh, leaves. That's a different story. But this book, the book that monks are going to chant, that will be inside also. So now that is to represent the Dhamma. Okay. Now, now, all triple gems are inside the pavilion with this special book. And that is a book actually, um, a very ancient book. And this particular book, we have evidence to show that this particular book was, comp uh, was compiled around the 4th century of the Common Era. And you know, this is one of the books that in human history, like there are you know, famous books you know, in, the, in the civilization of humanity, and this is one of it. Um, and, but what, what is contained in this book is actually the Buddha's discourses, like, like Buddha's sutras. Around the fourth century, uh, in, in, a in a, a great monastery in Sri Lanka, called Mahavihara in Anuradhapura. And monks used the selected 23 discourses, 23 sutras from the large collection of Buddhist canon, and they compile a special book for chanting purposes. And they used 23 discourses that can be used not only for teaching, but also for giving blessings. And the carefully selected 23 sutras was included in this booklet, book, and then used as a guidebook for chanting. And that is the same book that we are using today. And this particular book has different names, but there are four important sections. And because of that four important sections, and we call it Chatu Banavara Pali. There are Banavara is a section. Ikarinu Pali, um, the tradition, Banavara is a term for verses that has 8,000 syllables. So 8,000 syllables, collection of 8,000 syllables called Banavara. And there are four of those sections over here. So how many syllables then? Anybody good in maths? 
Yeah, 32,000 syllables. So monks are going to chant these 32,000 syllables uh, today. And that is how they compose this special book for chanting purposes. And so we have that book to represent the teachings of the Buddha. And then uh, in front of me, there's something else too. <laughs> and these are the blessing strings. This is, there are two types of strings. One is a thick string that will be used inside the pavilion. And there's the other set of strings, which is more thin one, that will come to you. Um, so what are these strings are doing here? And so when we have this special pavilion with the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha inside there, and with this special book, so we will, monks will do their chanting, and so all the, the vibrations are produced right here in this chamber. Now we have to find ways to bring that wholesome vibrations, wholesome blessings to you all. How we do that? We use a medium. That medium is the string. I think you remember when you were small children, you know, um, when we learned about uh, science and physics, you know, those days uh, uh, we use, like we use strings to talk to each other. You know, we, we, there are science lessons that we can have a string uh, tied to each other. We have a small uh, box or whatever we can talk and others can, you know, listen. So the string can actually carry the sound vibrations. And that is how we got telephones actually. So what's going to happen then when the monks are chanting these special discourses inside the chamber, they are producing wholesome vibrations. Because there are sound vibrations they will produce, but also their thoughts, their compassionate thoughts are also vibrations. They are also waves. So this string, the, the thick string will absorb those vibrations and the thin string will attach the thick string and will come to each and every one of you and that is like electric wire. Of course, you will not get shocked. You will not get electric shock, but you will get blessing shocks. <laughs> Definitely. And if you really, you know, hold that string and really mindful, you will feel the vibrations, you know. And of course, vibration will also come through the space, but you will feel the current. <laughs> you will feel the vibration that is coming to you. So we really want to be physically transmitting that vibrations to you. That is why we use those strings. And of course later, Bhante and other monks will ch uh, tie the blessing strings on you. A part of those strings and part of other strings. And that is to carry that blessings with you. When the, when the strings are tied in your hand, at least those vibrations, according to traditions, can remain in those strings for three days, at least. Because they are absorbed. And of course, for three days, it will be like a, you are carrying that blessings with you, with the protection, blessing, and healing. And of course, after three days, when the vibration dissipates, and then that will become a reminder of your practice today. You remind of being here today. So when you see that string, that will remind you the wholesome time you had today, like an encouragement for you to start your new year. So become a reminder. And Bhante was telling me yesterday, and of course, that will also gradually decay. How many people have blessing strings on your hand today? So many, right? And most of them are old, right? <laughs> so they also get old day by day, day by day. And that gives you one message, says that, oh, you haven't been to temples recently. 
see how to complete him with. But at the same time, it can also teach us a lesson of impermanence. It was so beautiful and full of blessings, and then everything has this nature of decaying. It is teaching you more than, uh, initially it's a blessing, and the secondary is a reminder of your practice, an encouragement, and be rejoiced, moment of rejoicing you know, of your practice, and then it can help us to understand the reality of the life. Impermanence, everything is falling away, and we can let this string fall away without any a kind of training our mind. We, we accept it with reverence, and, uh, and then we, we are okay. When, when it's time to pass, we have to let go of it, right? Let go of it. So it's, it's also a lesson like in that way. And before I move to the next one, I want to remind you that you know, this string will go to each and every one of you. So there will be like you know, strings all over the place. But, and, and also, but you may need to like go, maybe use washrooms, whatever. Whenever you, I mean, you are allowed to walk if you want, but remember, Whenever you walk, we never jump over the blessing strings. Because this is a medium through which these vibrations are flowing. So we can go underneath. That is the proper way to do it. So never jump over and please go underneath. So you can walk, but try to go underneath. And, and then you will see behind me, there are, okay, and later, these are the bottles, collection, collection of bottles here water bottles, and that those bottles will be kept inside the pavilion. And what's going to happen, this is, a string is one medium through which we will, you know, uh, transmit the vibrations. And, and then the water will be the second medium through which those vibrations will pass into you, not simply touching it, but actually putting it inside you. Because later you can drink this blessed water. What's going to happen this, when the, these blessings, the, these bottles and other water are inside the pavilion? And if you know enough about elements, water is the one of the elements that has most absorbing power. Water absorbs so much of energy. Imagine that, you know, all the monks are around, I mean, one monks are sitting here, the water is right in the middle, and all the vibrations the monks are emitting, and also their loving kindness, and all this sound vibrations and also the loving-kindness vibrations and these wholesome thoughts, this water absorb everything. So if they become a blessed water, it's still they are normal water, <laughs> but they become blessed, blessed water at the end of the chanting ceremony. But this, the ability of the water to absorb our vibrations, absorb our thoughts, have been now even proven uh, in number of experiments done, particularly in Japan. And there was a um, kind of scientist, not not maybe not the hard scientist, but you know someone who's doing experiments, and his name is called Professor Esaru um, uh, Imoto. Professor Imoto. And he had done a very important research on water, how much our words and our thoughts can influence water. So what he did actually, he collected water from different sources and he exposed this water to different words. Good ones and also bad ones. You can, you can really scold the uh, water, you can really say very bad words, 
to the water and also can say good words and also can do chanting. And then what he did was actually he frozen those water into like really like ice and he used very powerful telescope, I mean not microscope, <laughs> like in microscope, and actually he took photos of the molecular structure of this water. What he discovered was amazing. When water was exposed to like very bad energy, like bad talks, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean political talks by bad talks, you know, <laughs> but whatever, you know, uh, uh, words of anger and words of whatever, you know, unwholesome words, the, the molecular structure of the water really changed. And there's a big difference between the water that was exposed to negative words and also the water that was exposed to positive words, like loving, uh, like I love you. Or even like, and also he also got Zen Chinese monks to chant to these, these, to these waters. And then he froze on them and took the photographs. Actually, you can see the different molecular structure of this water in the book he published. He, the title of the book is called The Hidden Message of the Water. Hidden Message of the Water. And there are so beautiful structures, you know, the molecular structures in the water changed based on our, you know, the, the whatever thoughts and words that this water being exposed to. If we go in the same line, imagine that how much change can happen to this water in the molecular level when it is exposed to this chanting, this wholesome vibrations, wholesome energies for, more, for about an hour. So they really change. This water is going to physically change. In the molecular level, they are going to change its uh, makeup. And that's really going to help you. And this Professor Imoto also found out actually the, this, this kind of pattern of the molecular structure of the water that was exposed to bad words are exactly the same structure of the cancer cells. So the opposite will be the, the, the water exposed to the wholesome structure. And so this, when this water goes to your body, it can help. It can resonate with, you know, it can help your other, or your cells transform to the same pattern. But remember, much of our body is also water. What is the percentage of the water in our body? Hmm? About 60%, right? Whatever. Uh, whatever. We can agree that much, I mean, mo our body is mostly contained of water. That is, the, that is the element that is mostly present in our body. If the water can change at the molecular level by being exposed to the vibrations, imagine how much change it can bring to your own body by simply being in this space, being exposed to these vibrations. In, at the level of molecular level. So, isn't it healing? It is really healing. That is why this is a healing, healing ceremony, healing practice. So you can really open your body and mind and be exposed to this energy, exposed to this wholesome vibration and be healed right here. And also you can bring that healing to many others that you meet in your life. And that is the important purpose here. So, what's going to happen here, then monks are, uh, and of course I have something else over here, which is left. And before we start the chanting, I think Bhante Sujat is going to do a special <laughs> smoke ceremony. 
Uh, and of course, you know that this is the white sage, right? And so the smoke is actually a way of purifying or cleansing the environment. So before we produce wholesome vibrations and energy, first we need to clean, you know, clean the environment. It doesn't mean that, you know, these people bring negative energy, right? <laughs> but never mind. In any case, we just want to make sure that space is clean. So it's going to use the smoke. Traditionally, this smoke has been used by our ancestors, you know, from different parts of the world as a way of cleansing the spaces. There are a few items we can use to cleanse or purify the space. So the white sage is one of those items. So smoke will be spread all over the place. So we first clean the environment and make it purified and, and the, it gives you the space for the wholesome vibrations to travel freely. So there will be a purification first and then we will be produ producing some um, vibrations. Actually the chanting ceremony has been considered very powerful, very effective because there are a number of uh, powers are being and consolidated in this one single ceremony. Power number one is called power of truth. Because what we are going to chant are the discourses of the Buddha, the sutras of the Buddha. And what Buddha has done, he has explained the reality of the life and the world. Buddha did not invent anything. He simply discovers they discovered what is really happening in our body and mind and the universe. And of course, he taught us a way to be free from suffering. But so whatever the discourses we are chanting here are actually revealing the truth and the reality behind our normal, you know, understanding of the world. So there are there are sutras about the reality of the world, the, the reality of impermanence, reality of you know interconnectedness, reality of emptiness. So the, what is there is the truth, and truth has a power. At the end of every discourse that they are going to chant, you will hear uh, the monks are going, monks are doing a special act. We call it act of truth, or act of assertion of truth, or act of asseveration, or such a kriya. They are making a special wish. If the if the sutra that we just chanted are true. If they are in conformity with the way the world operates, if they are conformity with the reality, by the virtue of that truthfulness, may you be well, may you be healthy, may you be free from all obstacles and troubles. They will do that wish, end of every discourse. That is the power of the truth. Power number two is the power of the vibrations. And we talk about that. And the monks are, what monks are going to do here, they are going to chant. There's a big difference between speaking or uttering or even singing and chanting. You know, now I'm, what I'm doing now, I'm just talking. So that is, so the monks are not going to chant like this, like me. And monks are not, not, also not going to sing. Chanting is not singing. When you sing, you use, according to music, in the music we have like seven notes, right? Seven notes. The, uh, so they use all the seven notes. But in chanting, they are very disciplined. They will not, you will hear all different, you know, rhythms, but they are careful not to bring their tone beyond this, the fifth uh, note of the music. 
And the, the moment you go beyond the fifth note, it's generating moods, it's generating uh, temperaments, it's generating different kinds of you know, emotional excitements. But the chanting remains quite low in the musical understanding that it, they will, their rhythm will never generate emotional excitement in us. Rather than it will appease our emotion. So that is called chanting. So therefore the vibration, the sound vibration that has been generated right here is very special, very different. And even like crying babies for the, in Sri Lanka, when you have a crying, crying baby, of course babies are crying all the time, but if you have a crying baby, one way that, you know, the uh, one technique, one method the parents use in Sri Lanka is simply, you know, play a parita chanting. <laughs> because that rhythm of the chanting is, is appeasing your emotion, they will fall asleep very easily. You can try with your own kids if you want. And so that is called chanting. So, that is, and also, um, that is, uh, monks are also will harmonize their voice. Uh, and then, and we also follow a particular, um, particular, particular rhythm of the chanting. We call it uh, the sound of the ocean pattern. Sound of the ocean pattern. If you really listen to carefully, you will, you will feel the, the rhythm of the ocean when they are chanting. Like the waves are coming, coming and coming and finally spreading all over the shore and then for going back and again coming, coming and coming. You will hear that rhythm of the ocean today. So those, by, by chanting in that particular way, in harmonious way, they create such a special vibration, sound vibrations that can really wholesome, that can be really wholesome and helpful. So that is the second power, the power of the vibration. The last power, called the power of loving kindness. Because monks are not only simply chanting here, but they are also going to maintain a great loving kindness, a great wish of well-being to each and every one of you. Of course, Bhante Sujata is being known as loving kindness monk. But of course, not only him, we all are practicing loving kindness. And Buddha has recommended monks, whenever we do chant, chanting, and we have special uh, advice for us to maintain our mind such a compassionate way, just like Venerable Ananda, the personal attendant of the Buddha, actually blessed uh, a particular city called Visala when that city was you know, plagued with so many difficulties and diseases. So Buddha has a special advice for us, particularly when we chant, we really have to bring our mind to the highest level of loving kindness. So throughout this chanting, they will maintain unbound loving kindness, continuously radiating that wish of well-being with each syllable that they are chanting. So you can see you know, the each, one, each and every one of is carrying a fan, right? And this is not only to like, you know, really fan ourselves actually. This is for the purpose of our concentration. Because chanting is not simple. You know, you really have to you know, concentrate, you really have to maintain your loving kindness. So you cannot be distracted. So this fan is used actually as a way of concentrating their mind on the chanting. So throughout this chanting, they will radiate their loving kindness towards you. For an hour, but an hour, they will be continuously radiating these loving kindness thoughts. And remember, our thoughts, our emotional states are also vibrations. They are also electrical. 
Of course, you know, when you have different thoughts, you know, your brain cells will transmit different electricals to, you know, to different places. They are also electrical. So they, are, they, are, they will be dis, uh, radiating that loving kindness vibrations to each and every one of you. So you have been blessed by triple powers. <laughs> so, so all these three powers are condensed in one ceremony. That is why it is considered such a, a power, powerful, such a healing such a, um, a blessed ceremony. So we are so lucky at the end of the year that we can purify ourselves, we can cleanse ourselves, and then create the space for the wholesome blessings and fill our body and also fill our mind with these wholesome blessings. And then you go out to this world carrying that vibrations with you and helping that with that vibrations to all people, animals, plants and everything. So I wish may you all receive the full benefit of this ceremony and may you embrace these blessings with your body and mind. And may you be blessed with good health, peace and happiness. And may you continue to share this peace and happiness with many others in this world. Thank you. Thank you, Bhante. When Bhante said there was 38,000 syllables that were going to be chanted, I saw half the room look at their watches. So here's how you'll know if we're on time. We're going to be doing good, and we have a few more things to do. And then at some point in a little while, Marty's going to look over at me and start laughing, and she'll know that we're late. And then right after that, Bhante will announce that we're right on time. So that's how this will work. <laughs> um, that maybe not the whole book today. So um, uh, Bhante uh, Sujatha and Bhante Soma are going to pass around the, this blessing bowl. And so for those of you who brought items to be blessed, please put it in the bowl and it'll then enter the chamber uh, for the, when we start blessing. So at this time we're going to light the chamber candles. If I could invite Dylan and Nick up. Okay, so if we could, <laughs> everything is a lesson. So uh, it is uh, my great honor to introduce you all to Michael Franzak. What I, what I would say to you is that whether you know it or not, there may be no greater friend to the Blue Lotus Temple and certainly to Bonte than Michael, who has, uh, whose fingerprints are on Bonte, every ounce of Bonte's life for the last 20 years. And any gratitude that you uh, owe or pay to Bonte, you're also paying to Michael because without Michael, Bonte would have a much harder uh, journey. So it's uh, without further ado, I'm introducing Michael Franzak. Um, good evening, friends, everybody. I'm Michael. Tyler uh, flatters me, and now I'm, I've got to let the redness go away from the face for a second. Um, it's my honor this evening to be with all of you and to have this opportunity to uh, invite the Sangha on behalf of the Blue Lotus uh, Sangha. So, to our most venerable Maha Sangha, we at the Blue Lotus Temple invite our venerable community, the Maha Sangha, to recite these teachings 
and the blessing verses of the Buddhist Siddhartha Gautama that have survived for over 2,500 years. In Pali, this is called Mahakaruna, which means great compassion. Thank you, venerable monks, for your blessings for our good health in this holiday season. Let us set our right intentions as we move into the new year. All right, so now it's uh, my honor to introduce someone that you may call your friend, you may call your teacher, we may call him our abbot, I occasionally call him chief monk, uh, the chief Sanganayak of North America, my dear friend and teacher, Venerable Bhante Sujatha. Okay, now we are going to start the chanting. Before the chanting, we are going to do a short meditation. So, um, blessing uh, thread will come to you. Just be patient with that. It is a part of the patient practice. Okay. So, end of the ceremony, when we are going to wrap the thread, we have to be patient too. Okay. Now you are attached, you cannot leave. <laughs> okay, now everybody please close your eyes. Take few deep, long breaths and relax your whole body. Now in this moment, you cannot engage with other activities. You are fully present here, right now, in this beautiful place in front of the Buddha and in front of the Mahasangha, all the venerable monks. Now you are committing your life to this practice. Now send your loving thoughts towards yourself, thinking, I am well, I am happy, I am peaceful. May I be free of anger, free of attachment, free of confusion, free of pride. May I be safe. May I be free of the problems that arise from such a distraction of my mind. May I recognize and cultivate my potential of loving-kindness, compassion, wisdom, patience, and all other good qualities. May these good qualities grow for my well-being and the well-being of others. May my fear, worries, and sorrows fall away. May I find the joy of peace 
and love in my heart. May I be happy, may I be healthy, may I be content. Let me be free of greed, hatred and delusion. Let me be generously giving, understanding and insightfully clear. I am free. I am free. I am free. I am well. I am happy. I am peaceful. Samantha Chakmalesu Atantra Gachantu Devata Satandhammang Munirajansa Sunantu Sangamokkadang Paritan Savana Kalo Ayam Bhadanta Paritan Savana Kalo Ayam Bhadanta Paritanta Dhamma Savana Kalo Bhadanta Tas Bhagavato Arhato Sambuddhasa Namodhasa Bhagavato Arhato Samma Namutasa Bhagavato Arhato Samma Iti piso bhagavar hang 
सांगे रात नांग पानी तांग
Yeah. Uh-huh. 
sentient beings and all the devas, deities. Akasata chubhumata devanaga mahitika punyantang anumoditva chirangrakantu sasunang akasata chubhumata devanaga mahitika punyantang anumoditva chirangrakantu desanang akasata chubhumata devanaga punyantang anumoditva chirangrakantu kantu tvam sadati so we're going to try to do a few things at once mindfully um we're going to, uh, I'm going to invite Todd. Where is Todd? So, um, those of you who've been here before uh, and have been around our practices, we uh, pay a debt of gratitude to the monastics who have journeyed from far and wide to be here. And so, we're going to offer them a gift of Dhamma uh, to help 
compensate for some of their expenses to get here and to express our gratitude for their time and energy in holding this place of refuge for us. And then we're going to pass the baskets and ask all of you to dig in your heart and offer an uh, opportunity to practice generosity. This is a community temple supported by the loving gifts of its members. And so we are grateful for any and all support as we continue this really sacred and important mission. So Todd, if you could make your way. <laughs> So how many people here have uh, participated in the painting of the Buddha? Okay, so all of you teach those of you who have not. <laughs> okay, and so I'm going to invite Monte to explain uh, what we're going to do. We're going to uh, line up, uh, we're going to come up in twos, so we'll form a line, we'll go back to the Christmas tree and begin. Um, so we can go two by two, maybe that's somebody you're with, or maybe that's somebody you introduced yourself today as part of our Sangha. And um, we don't have to be totally silent, but maybe as you get closer to the front of the line, start to observe no silence. And then Bhante is going to explain the intention uh, of the making of the Buddha and how this will work. And then what I would suggest is when you're done, you're going to be able to get uh, a, breast, a blessing bracelet from the monastics uh, as part of the string that we just anointed. And then. Uh, You'll be able to take your things that were in the chamber during the blessing, so make sure you grab your items. Uh, and then we have refreshments and food downstairs, and we would love to welcome you all to uh, participate in that fellowship. So we're really grateful you're all here. We hope you have a new year, a blessed new year, and uh, enjoy. Ante. <laughs> So now it is the time for us to uh, get our blessing personally and then to carry it with us for the rest of the holiday season and to the new year. And so the Bhandis are going to give you a blessed water. They are going to sprinkle blessed water. Everyone is going to come in lines and Bhandis each other will be sitting in that chair and will be sprinkled with the water. And you can also drink the blessed water and then other ones will tie the blessing strings. So that is like you are getting the blessings tangibly with you. But before that, there's another ceremony to conclude this whole blessing ceremony, that is to bear the statue of the Buddha. Uh, this is a special ceremony. Actually, the statue of the Buddha represents um, the potential of Buddhahood, potential of enlightenment in each of us. When Buddha statues were made, were, were made um, nobody knew how Buddha looked like. Because Buddha statues start to appear in, in India after a few centuries of the Buddha's passing away. Therefore, when Buddha statues were first made, nobody has seen the Buddha. Therefore, those artists did not try to recreate the historical Buddha. Instead, what they did, they used different gestures, different postures, different features of the statue to represent the enlightened qualities, the qualities of the enlightened mind. So this, this statue, that main statue, has the gesture of samadhi, gesture of tranquility. There's also a gesture of fearlessness. There's also a gesture of teaching. There's also a gesture of bestowing blessings. So there are different types of gestures and postures and pitches. 
So the statue of the Buddha is actually a representation of the enlightened mind. So what you see is here as a statue of the Buddha is actually the potential that each and every one of us has in us, our inner Buddha. So when you bear the Buddha, what you are really doing is that you are making a connection with your own Buddha, Buddha nature inside you and then purifying your heart, your Buddha nature. That's our goal to manifest that potential, that Buddha nature within us uh, in our life for our spiritual practice. So you'll be bearing the baby Buddha, we'll bearing the Buddha and while doing it, you'll be so please come in right. Yeah, one day, uh, because we are going to come in two by two in line, so one day is Sajjad and one day Soma is going to be most very hard to do it.